Thank you, Father, for walking with us, for your presence in our lives, for your Holy Spirit, for the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whom we stand and in whom we have life, for walking with us day by day. We pray today that if we should hear your voice, we should not harden our hearts, but heed and obey and respond in faith. May the, meditation, the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you in this day, we pray in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> well, I am really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Today we begin a conversation about how as followers of Jesus we can engage in conflict in a healthy way. So much of what we struggle with today is uh, unresolved conflict. And there's a tendency to pretend it's not there, to sweep it under the rug, to hope somehow it'll just go away. But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. I heard a message on this text of scripture this summer and it really surprised me. The speaker said that this text, blessed are the peacemakers, might actually be one of the most misinterpreted passages in the whole Bible. I want to share something of that message with you uh, today because it's a growth area for me. Most preachers are preaching to themselves. I know I uh, oftentimes do. And, and I want to spend some time wrestle with this teaching and the invitation to become a peacemaker. Maybe it'll be helpful for you as well. If you'd like a little bit more on this subject, I would invite you to go ahead and find that message. It was preached by a pastor, the founding pastor of a multi-ethnic church in Queens, New York. And the pastor's name is Pete Scazzaro. Uh, if you want to find that message, you'll find it at the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Just search for false peace. Emotionally Healthy Leader, search for false peace. Another way to engage or learn more about this is to read his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Now, it's important for me to say right at the beginning, and I hope you hear this, this is not a two-message series. This is one message in two parts. So all you're getting today is the first half. It would be very important, therefore, that you come back next week, or if you're not able to, that you come to our website and catch the second half of this message. You're only getting a half today, so let's be careful with this. But today we want to begin with the teaching of our Savior in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So let's pull out our Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. If you're grabbing the black book and the rack in front of you, you can turn to page 785. But I'd love for everybody to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, one way or another. Any translation will do. And if you're able, let's stand and read God's word aloud together. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. So there it is. You can keep your Bible open if you want. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is a peacemaker, isn't he? Jesus is a peacemaker. This is who he is. This is what he does. He brings peace. Jesus makes peace. He's a peacemaker. Now when Jesus speaks of peace, as he does here in the Sermon on the Mount, in his native tongue, he would use one of the great words of the scripture. He would use the word shalom. Shalom. This is fun to say. Say that. Shalom. Shalom. It means peace. But it's not the absence of conflict. In fact, it's more than the absence of conflict. It it really, this word shalom means completeness, wholeness, welfare, flourishing, good relationship. Always good relationship. Good relationship with God. Good relationship with self. Good relationship with others. Good relationship with the creation. This is shalom. It's not just an inner thing like, ah, peace, now I've got it, right? It's an inner and an outer thing. It's good relationships all the way around. It it was shalom that was God's intent for the world in the beginning. And it is shalom that is God's plan for the world in the end. This is This is what Jesus is talking about here. Peace. Full peace. And it's one of the great promises of the Bible. Peace. It comes up over 300 times in the scriptures. It's the heart of the covenant that God made with Israel. Right at the center of the covenant were these peace offerings. Which were offerings made in the temple for when relationship is broken. Peace is the heart of the covenant that God makes with all people through Jesus. The angels at Jesus' birth, you remember, sing to the shepherds. And what are they saying? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace, shalom. This is the title that God gives to Jesus. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Yeah, so Jesus is the prince of peace. And everywhere he went, he spoke words of peace. Now you, you'll, notice, you'll notice it now that I've said that. Like he'd do the healings for people and then he'd say, go in peace. When, when he's in the boat and there's a storm, he speaks to the wind and the waves. And what does he say? Peace, be still. All the time he's speaking about peace. Even the night of his betrayal, when he gathers with his disciples in the upper room and he prepares to make his life the last and great, greatest of all peace offerings, listen to what he says to them. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. It's also how he greets his disciples after he rises from the dead. It's the first thing he says, peace be with you. By the way, it's what those disciples now as apostles sent out of the world will say at the beginning of all their letters. Grace and peace. Yeah. So Jesus is a peacemaker. This is just who he is. This is what he's about. He restores relationship. He gives us peace with God, peace within ourselves, peace with others, peace with creation. And then he says, now you're going to do it too. Now you're going to be a peacemaker also. He's looking at us when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
So here's how it's supposed to work. We turn to Jesus. We say yes to Jesus in faith. He makes this peace for us. And then we turn to others and we join him in making peace for others. So that the peace that we receive in Christ is meant to be the peace that we share with others. And notice Jesus says, they're going to call you children of God when this happens because everybody knows that a parent's DNA is in the daughter, in the son. And so when you and I prove truly to be peacemakers, people go, that's one of God's children. So far, so good. Right? We all got this part. Here's the problem. Try this on and see if you buy this. Instead of making true peace, we often settle for false Peace. Instead of making true peace, we often settle for false peace. Now, this is a distinction that Pete Scazzaro makes, true peace versus false peace. And this is what struck me as a surprise. And, and he gives an illustration. Let me give you this illustration. It's a really small thing, but I told, I'm embarrassed to say I totally relate to this illustration. So let's imagine you decide... Hey, let's go to brunch after, to, after church at UPC today, right? So you grab a, a group of people and you guys all, you say, hey, let's love our neighbors. We'll go down to the Ave and, and bless one of our neighbors. And you find a little place there and you, you go in this big table. That you grab that big table off to the side. There are about 12 of you sitting around the table. And it's really fun. You're like meeting new people and, and strengthening relationships, old friends. You pull out the menu and you look at it and you go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You remember your budget. Uh, because you don't have a lot of money right now and you're kind of saving up for something. So you say to yourself, you know, I'll just, I'll have a salad. Actually, I'll have the appetizer salad and I'll have a glass of water, you know, $7. And you think, oh, that's great, $7. And then, you know, the, the host is getting orders from other people and they're ordering a lot. They're having the curry, you know, or the steak and the, they're adding side dishes like calamari, you know, onion rings, french fries, and they're getting drinks, fancy drinks, you know, and then and dessert, and the carrot cake and the cheesecake and it's everything. And it's a, it's a lovely meal, but an hour later the server comes and here's the bill. And somebody says, you know what, it's just too complicated to figure out and there's so many of us, let's not, let's not do separate bills, let's just divide it by 12. And you're going, oh, no. And everyone goes, yeah, that's a great deal. And what do you do? You keep silent. You just smile as best you can. Why? You don't, you don't want to be a jerk. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to make people feel bad. You don't want to disrupt the situation. You don't want people to not think well of you. I mean, you can't afford the brunch, but you also can't afford to lose any friends these days, right? So what do you do? You say nothing. Now, this is so then... You know, you pull out your wallet and you pay the $25. It's $25 with the tip included. I know this is a small thing. kind of reminds me of the SNL sketch right now with Owen Wilson. But it helps me see the difference between truth, peace, and false peace. Now, if that were me at that table, I would probably walk away thinking I was a peacemaker. Because they didn't make a scene. Because nobody got angry. Because we walked out of the restaurant together. But if you ask me, George, how are you feeling? <laughs> I have to be honest, I'm pretty miserable right at the moment. I don't know it'll pass, but right now I'm disappointed. I'm angry. I'm resentful. I maybe feel even a little bit ashamed. And how are my relationships with these other people, the other 11? Well, they're fine. 
But, you know, not really. I mean, because I haven't been honest with them. I haven't been real and authentic. I've also made assumptions about them that may not be true, that they wouldn't be able to handle a conversation uh, like this one. Made false assumptions about them. And I didn't love them enough to find out what they actually think, to disabuse myself of any false assumptions. And I'm walking away thinking, make sure you never end up going to lunch with UPC people after church, right? Now that's a false piece. That's false peace. So what I'm saying is there are two ideas about peace. For Jesus, peace is shalom. It's good relationship. But for us, peace is oftentimes just the absence of conflict. No matter what the relationship is like. Just the absence of conflict. If you look up peace in a a modern dictionary, you see stuff like this. A state of tranquility or quiet. Freedom from disquieting thoughts or emotions. The absence of war and violence. The state of not being interrupted or annoyed. Ah, peace. We we say, I just want some peace and quiet, right? As though the the two things were both the same. And this is how the culture defines peace, as the absence of conflict. And this is certainly how I grew up. Thinking about peace. Whatever you do, whatever you say, don't upset mom, don't upset your sister, don't upset your roommate. I, I carried this view of peace into my work life. I couldn't be honest with my supervisor, which deprived her of getting the ideas that I would like to bring to the table. I couldn't be honest with people that I was managing, which deprived them of good accountability and alignment to the job. I carry this sense of false peace into my singleness, my marriage, even my parenting. I thought it was all about avoiding disagreements. And it cost me real vulnerability on my part and on the part of other people I love. We ended up settling for less collaboration and less intimacy. Because we didn't know how to engage in conflict in a healthy, loving way. See that? I settle for false peace. I still settle for false peace. That's why I say I'm growing. The problem is if we start with the wrong definition of peace, we'll never become what Jesus wants for us to become true peacemakers. So Pete Scazzaro, he gives some examples of what he calls false peacemakers. Let me just run some of these through some of these examples. This is in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Carl Um, upset because his wife chronically comes home from work late, but he thinks it's a Christian thing to do not to say anything. He's a false peacemaker. A Pam who's uncomfortable when her co-workers slander their boss at the water cooler, uh, but just goes along anyway. A Pam is a false peacemaker. Yolanda, she's afraid to tell her fiancé and his family that she's not ready to go to the altar, but she goes through the wedding anyway just to avoid a scene. She's a false peacemaker. Quan, not wanting to hurt his parents' feelings, uh, refuses to admit to them how much their criticism of his parenting really hurts him. Quan is a false peacemaker. Sharon, she's so sorry that her boyfriend has suffered as much as he has already. She's unable to tell him that his irresponsible behavior is hurting him and slowly killing their relationship. She's a false peacemaker. See, somehow we tell ourselves... I'm doing the right thing by avoiding conflict. We pretend it's not there. We sweep it under the carpet. We just hope it will go away, but it doesn't. 
And all we can do is settle with a false, an imitation of the real thing, false peace. And when we do that, here's what starts to happen around us. I say one thing to your face, but another thing behind your back. I give in because I'm afraid you won't like me. I make promises that I have no intention of keeping because I don't know how to tell the truth. I leak anger through sarcasm and subtle criticism. Oh, we have so much sarcasm in my family. And we think it's a gift to one another somehow. I tell you only half the truth because I can't risk hurting your feelings and I assume you can't take the whole. I avoid you or give you the silent treatment. Or I, I give up on intimacy. I just lower the bar and go, well, this is as far as high as the relationship's ever gonna rise. I just go through the motion. Now here's what Pete says. True peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is right. Isn't that right? It just sounds right to me. True peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is right. And you can't, he also says, you can't build the kingdom of God on falsehoods. If you want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world, he, he just will not allow us to build his kingdom on what's false. Falsehood and lies. No. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of resolution. Peace is not about quiet. No, peace is about restoring relationship. Peace is not about un avoiding uncomfortable conversations or, co or situations. Peace is about pursuing shalom, wholeness, wellness, flourishing. And the good news is, this is what Jesus does. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Everywhere he goes, Jesus disrupts false peace so that he can bring true peace. That's the point today. That's what I'm getting at. Jesus disrupts false peace so that he can bring true peace. This is what I'm learning. So, it, so if I want true peace, I've got to let Jesus bring disruption into my life. All right, let's open our Bibles again. Turn five chapters to the right to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 uh, through 36. This is page 791 of the Pew Bible. You can let me do the reading this time, but follow along. Pay attention. Look at this. Here's just a few chapters after the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus says. <laughs> this might be surprising. He says, now, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And you're going, what? For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's own household. What? I've come to bring a sword? Isn't this a contradiction? I didn't come to bring peace? What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about false peace. He's talking about our understandings of peace. He didn't come to play that game. I don't tolerate false peace in your life, in your relationships, in the church, in your country, or in the world. He talks about a sword. What's the sword? The sword is disruption. His commitment to disrupt false peace, to disrupt the status quo, God in Jesus Christ has come to heal, to disrupt broken relationships, to disrupt unjust systems and structures, to disrupt principalities and power, ultimately even to disrupt death itself. Not for disruption's sake, but to restore relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, 
and with creation. Jesus is a disruptor because he's a reconciler. So, no, he doesn't come to avoid conflict, and he doesn't allow us to do it either. He comes to resolve conflict, and he calls us to the same. Jesus disrupts false peace so he can bring true peace. Just think about Jesus. Isn't this true? Kind of wherever he goes, he's terribly disruptive. He disrupts the false peace of the crowds. He disrupts the false peace of the religious leaders. He disrupts the false peace of the the Roman authorities. He disrupts the false peace of his own disciples again and again and again. And he wants to disrupt false peace in me and in you as well. Now it's not easy. This is really, really good news. It was a moment of true peacemaking that actually changed Pete Scazzaro's life. Let me just give you a really quick uh, bit of his story. He calls it a second conversion. It was like a second conversion, he said. And it came through his wife, Jerry. Uh, it was at a time in his life when church was hard. They were going through a church split. It was really hard. Pete was hurt. He was wounded. He was angry. He was working even harder to try to compensate. And he was pre- pretending that everything was fine. Isn't it great? We're launching this new church. But on the inside, he was just dying. One night, Jerry's wife, she said very calmly, she said, Dear, I'm, I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving your church. I need to be in a church where the pastor is healthy and you're not healthy, and so I'm gonna go find another church in New York City. And that was just devastating for Pete. It was a kind of a wake-up moment for them. They went, they found counseling. Jerry started attending another church, and they're working through their marriage. Not long after that, there was this moment of honesty. Pete says it was two in the morning, around two in the morning, and she woke him up, and she's standing on the bed, and in his words, she just let me have it. Now remember, they're New Yorkers, so they do this all the time. I, I know in Seattle it will look very different, but apparently he, he said for the first time she told the brutal truth about how she felt about me, about our marriage, and about our church. And you go, this is super uncomfortable. What, what, what happened? And if you're like me, you're thinking, catastrophe. That can't go well. The truth is, Pete says, it saved our marriage. It saved my ministry. And it launched a whole new ministry now, literally around the world, emotionally healthy spirituality that is touching thousands of people. Because Jerry was a true peacemaker. She got, she got it right. So the question today is, how do we become true peacemakers? Well, that's what next week is all about, okay? That's next week. So you got to come back. I'm sorry. Uh, I couldn't do it all in one. I'm already you know, up against the clock. Um, but do come back next week or tune in next week. Please, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to run out those doors and go looking for conflict. (laughs) Don't do that. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, I can't wait to get out of this room. (laughs) You could do a lot of damage, okay? Okay? You're like, you know, you're going to walk up to someone. You know, I never liked you. You've always been a pain in the rear. Don't do that. Please. That is not the Jesus way. You're going to get Jesus way next week. But for now, the first step to becoming a true peacemaker is this, surrender. Surrender to Jesus. Think again about what he says there in Matthew 10. I'm going to set a a man against a father and a woman against his mother. And 
he says, whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And you want to go, who does Jesus think he is? I mean, who would say that to somebody? Who, 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 who does he think he is? I mean, remember, this is, a, this is an Asian culture. This is an honor culture. Nothing's more important than honoring your father and, and mother. And he says, actually, I'm more important than, than your children. Actually, I'm more important than your, your parents. Nothing can be more important to you than me. Wow. This is what he's talking about the cross. We mentioned this last week, following him. And the reason for this is he's talking about true peace, not our peace. He's talking about his peace. See, it's not my place to tell you what to do with your life or how to live your life. It's his place. It's not my place even to tell me what to do with my life or how to live my place. It's his place. And you and I can only become true peacemakers if we surrender to him. If we sit beneath his word. Let it have authority over our lives. And if we walk in his way, we have to surrender to him. So it's, it's my ideas of how a, a conflict should be resolved that actually could be part of the problem, not the solution. And in the end, what God is doing is calling us not to bring our ideas to the conflict, but actually to meet Jesus in the conflict, the living Lord Jesus here in the con- on conflict. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his great book, Life Together. I really recommend Life Together. Bonhoeffer writes, Christ stands between me and others. I dare not desire direct fellowship with them. Oh, that is so profound. Jesus stands between you and me. I dare not desire direct relationship or fellowship with you. Only to allow Christ, our mediator, to stand and be present. So who is Jesus? Who does Jesus think he is? He knows. He is God himself. Jesus is God standing in our conflict before the Father. Jesus is God standing in our conflict between one another. Jesus is God standing in our conflict with creation. He's the great mediator now come with the great gift of salvation by grace. Through nothing more than faith. He's the prince of peace. This is the gospel. So let us come to him. We can trust him. Because he is our peace. And he gives his life to make peace. Jesus disrupts false peace so he can bring true peace. Finally, let me close with three invitations. These things you can do this week. Number one, come back next week, okay? You got that message. Come back and we'll talk more about how we do this. Number two, pray for a relationship. Would you ask the Prince of Peace through his Holy Spirit to identify an area of your life where maybe you've been a false peacemaker? Is there one? Ask ask the Lord about that. And if there is, then pray for the person or the people involved. Pray for shalom, for wholeness, for their flourishing. And imagine, just picture Jesus standing between you and them. Just, just, Just talk to him, with him between you and them. Talk to them about that person. Pray for their healing. Okay, that's the second thing. So come back, pray for a relationship. Third and finally, pray for yourself. This is so important. I want, I want you to hear this. This is the most important thing. Ask the Prince of Peace to pump peace into your own heart. See, because I've come to believe that one of the reasons I'm a false peacemaker is I'm afraid of my own anger and bitterness. I don't want to hurt you, so I zip it up. Because I don't know how to do it well. 
And the danger is that we'll confront people out of a life that is not at peace. And that will be motivated not by love, but by hostility, by our anger and bitterness. Not the Holy Spirit, but the flesh. Remember, one of the fruit of the spirits, it's peace. So we need, we need to ask, this is having a Holy Spirit experience. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to, to break in, disrupt our lives, crack open our hard hearts, pump peace into our souls. That, that we should be on our knees fervently praying that prayer before anything else happens. Would you disrupt the pain in me? Would you disrupt the hurt in me? Would you disrupt the sense of loss in me? And would you replace it with your shalom, your wholeness? If you dare. Because you and I will never become true peacemakers without Jesus. And, by the way, finally, without the other six Beatitudes, just let me remind you what came before this. Jesus puts peacemaking near the end of the list on purpose. We have to become poor in spirit and humble. We have to be able to mourn with those who mourn and have compassion and empathy for them. We have to be meek and so, so gentle. We have to hunger and thirst for what's true and what's good. We have to be merciful. We have to know what it is to live our lives owing them to God's mercy so that we can share that mercy with others. And we have to be pure in heart to will one thing, to want only what God wants. And then and only then will we be ready to hear, blessed are the peacemakers for you will be called children of God. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's a little fear and trembling in us because of the, the danger around conflict. We feel it. It's charged. The atmosphere is charged. And we've been made to find our place inside the ways in which the world is locked in conflict. Our families, our lives, our marriages, our singleness locked in conflict. Lord, we don't know what to do about that, but we come on our knees before you asking you to bring disruption, bring healthy, loving disruption in such a way that there be whole, wholeness, peace. We pray for those who are just coming to know who you are early in the stage of journey with you that haven't yet met the Prince of Peace, Lord, um, would you work on their hearts, open their eyes, as the scripture says, that they might see you with the eyes of faith and say yes to you and experience the fullness of your salvation. And for all of us, Lord, begin that Holy Spirit work, would you, that the fruit of the Spirit, peace, might be received fully, more fully in our lives and more fully shared. We pray in Christ's name, amen.